Lord, as we study your word, God, I pray that you would manifest yourself in power and in might um, through your word and through me, Lord, as just your vessel. God, I, I want to empty myself before you so that it's your spirit that's teaching us. God, you say anyway that the natural man cannot understand spiritual things. And Lord, certainly if I'm the one trying to, to bring forth spiritual truths and everybody's going to go out of here and, and have learned nothing and have met with only me and not you. And God, you're here who we are to meet with and you are, you are, you are who we want to hear from. And so Lord, do your work supernaturally this morning. And we believe, God, that your word is living and powerful, and it will go forth, like it says in the book of Isaiah, like rain, to do the work that it's intended to do and yield fruit in, our, in and through our lives. So we humbly submit ourselves to you this morning, Lord, to be a part of this work you desire to do. And we want to lift up our brothers and sisters there at the Vineyard Church, Lord. We know there are lots there who love you, who know you, who serve you. And, and God, we, we pray for them, and we pray for for unity uh, in, in, our, in, our, in our city, in our county, among the Christian churches, Lord, who love you, that we might be um, bound together, Lord, to serve you in, in, in a more mighty and, and strengthened way. And Lord, specifically for Pastor Luke, who's teaching this morning, his wife Crystal and their family, we lift them up to you. We pray for uh, Associate Pastor, uh, Pastor Alex and his wife Donna and their family, and um, God, as they minister for you to your people. We pray, God, that they would do so with humility and with love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, we're in Exodus chapter 31. And um, if you've been here for the last few Sundays, you know that we've been reading about, over the last few chapters, about this interaction that God has had or God had with Moses during the 40 year or 40, uh, 40 years the 40 days and 40 nights that Moses was on Mount Sinai. And, and during this time, God spoke with Moses and he gave him his law. Um, and the sacrificial systems, he gave him uh, the instructions for the construction of the tabernacle and commanded the establishment of the Levitical priesthood through Aaron and his sons. God said, I've called them, I've chosen them, you anoint them, Moses. And when we finished chapter 30 last week, God tied all these things together, all these instructions and commands. Um, he tied all of them together with these final instructions for the altar of incense, the, the, the instructions for the construction of the bronze laver, uh, the command to receive a half shekel offering from all the males uh, of the children of Israel who were 20 years and older, and lastly, tied it all together by giving them the specific recipes for the holy anointing oil, and the compounding of the incense that was to be used in the tabernacle. And in a sense, God put an explanation point at the end of this time of meeting. And, and as we read on, we see um, that, with, that, that with the last of these details given, all that was left was for God to appoint the men who would carry out the task of, of constructing all the things that God had commanded. And that's what we read about this morning in chapter 31. I asked you guys to turn there, but I failed to do so myself. So Exodus chapter 31, I'll read. Let's read the first 11 verses, and we'll stop, and then we'll continue on later after that. Verse, verse 1, Exodus chapter 31, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, of Judah, 
And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. To design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and in working in all manner of workmanship. And indeed, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahishmahash, the, of the tribe of Dan. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make that they may make all that I have commanded you. Verse 7, the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all of its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, verse 9, with all of its utensils, and the laver and its base, the garments of the ministry, the holy garments for Aaron and his priests, the garments of his son, to minister as priests. And the anointing oil and the sweet incense for all the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. According to all that they have commanded you, all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And, 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 and so we see here, I love that God doesn't leave anything for for um, Moses just to figure out. Uh, I can relate to Moses. I'm like God. Okay, just tell me and tell me simply. And and God details it out over and over and over again. And I know He's kind of like saying, "No, you know, Moses. I know we've gone through all of this already before, but let me just reiterate it as I put forth the command now for the guys who are going to do this." And God doesn't leave anything out. From the construction of the tabernacle to the ark, all the way down to the compounding of the, of, the, of the holy anointing oil and the incense, God reiterates all of these things. And so God not only gave the blueprints for the tabernacle and it's all of its furnishings, he also appointed, we, we see here, these craftsmen. Um, uh, Bazael, Bazael, I don't know how to pronounce it for sure. I broke it down and I've studied it, but I just can't get it to come out. But all, and he was from the tribe of Judah and then Aholiab from the tribe of Dan. These two men were the ones who were commissioned to supervise the construction of all that was associated with the tabernacle. And clearly God chose other people to serve with them, but these were the guys. These were the ones who were in charge of it, the ones who were appointed to see that it, it happened the way that, that, that God said it should happen. And in light of this, there are a couple important things that need to be pointed out. And the first was the fact that these, these craftsmen, the, the, the ones who were called, they were not to attempt to be innovative. They weren't to take the things that God had commanded and the instructions that he had given to them, the blueprints, and go, well, maybe we could just do a little bit different here, and, and maybe I can make it a little better by doing it like that, or is that really necessary? Maybe we'll leave this out. There is no cutting of the corners, and there was no adding to. This was the first thing that, that, that we need to take note of. There was no innovation on their part that was to be taken place, no adding to or taking away from the heavenly plans that God had given to Moses. Furthermore, their ability to work in all manner of workmanship here we're told it was the direct result of being filled with God's Spirit. And because of this, God said that they, would be, that they would possess wisdom, understanding, and knowledge to do what He had commanded them to do. In other words, God had called these men to be an empty vessel, to be a willing vessel, 
something or someone that he could then fill up and use for his purposes. And I think this is an important thing. I think it's an encouraging thing for us to remember because whenever God calls us to do something, guys, sometimes we look at ourselves and we go, I can't do that. Or, or we go, oh yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and in either side of it, we get in the way of doing what God has called us to do. But when we realize that, that, that God wants to fill us, that he wants to empower us, that he wants to equip us, then we can trust and inspect, expect that he'll be faithful to not only instruct us on the how to do it or, or on the what to do, but also that he will equip us with all that we need to do it. He'll provide in every way. And I think this is an encouraging thing because God does not ask us to ever do things, um, or excuse me, I think this is an encouraging thing for us because God will ask us to do things that we may have never done before and ask us to do things that we don't know how to do. And I think the text illustrates that for us because we have to conclude that this is exactly what God was doing with these two men when we remember that up to this point, the only construction experience they had was that of a slave who was forced to make bricks in the hot Egyptian sun. If God would have said, hey guys, build me this tabernacle out of earth and bricks and you don't get any straw, these guys would have known how to do it. But that wasn't the plan. Nevertheless, guys, God called these men and he called them by name. He called them by name, and in calling them, he qualified them. In calling them, he qualified them for the work that was to be done. And God will do the same for us. God does the same for us. But in doing, but in doing so, we need to understand that God expects that, that, that we'll stick to his plan. God expects that we'll stick to his plan and try and not to try to do things in a way that seems right to us. And the Apostle Paul explains the reason for why this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 25, verse 31, where he wrote to the Corinthians and said this, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And that would be enough. But Paul goes on to explain. He says, you do things God's way, not your own way, because not that God's foolish, but even if God had foolishness, it, it would be greater than the wise, the wisdom of, of, of that man possesses. And, and the weakness of God, not that God's weak, but it's, it's greater than the, 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 the most strongest man, the greatest strength that we have. And he goes on to say this, he says, Paul says, in addition to that, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many are wise according to the flesh. Not many are mighty, not many are noble, are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? So that no flesh should glory in his presence. I guarantee you these two men, when it was all done, could not stand back and, and say, look what I've done. 
They didn't have a resume of qualifications that qualified them for jewel engravery and, and precious metal working and, and, and sewing of the fabrics and all these things. Now, God brought other people alongside them, but it was the same thing. God equipped them, God empowered them, and God does the same for us. Why? Because he doesn't want us to stand back and go, and when it comes to the work that God does or God does in us and through us, that we would go, look what we've done. And then he goes on to remind us, he says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God, and the righteousness, and the sanctification, and the redemption. And he says, that as it is written. So here's the command that this all rests in. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And so we can stand back when God uses us in the same ways that he used these men here. And we go, look what God did through me. And we point people to God and we point others to God. And God is glorified. And I think the, 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 the greater the weaknesses that we have, the greater the foolishnesses that, that we possess. And God still works through us. God is, is glorified and magnified all the more. And, and for that reason alone, I know that as God uses me up front, is because I'm probably the weakest and biggest fool out of all of you. It's the one, because through me, God could be glorified the most. When you go, when, 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 when God uses me to, to teach his word or to, to be used in another person's life. But you know what? The same is true for you. We're all foolish. And we're all weak apart from God. And so I'm here to tell you this morning that the old adage still rings true. It's not what you know, but who you know. And I believe God chose these two men not for what they could do, but because he knew that they would trust and rely upon him to do his will in this work. In light of this question, in light of this, the questions that we should be asking ourselves is, are we and will we trust in God and rely upon God to do his will and to do his work? And let me break this down on a very simplistic level for us, a very applicable level for us. Will we trust in and rely upon God to do his will and to do his work? The work of being a godly spouse. The work of being a godly parent, a godly friend, a godly neighbor. The work of telling and, and, and teaching others about Jesus Christ and, and God's good news of the message of salvation by grace through faith. Or guys, any other and every other work that God calls us by name to do, will we trust upon, trust in, rely upon, and cling to for God to provide? As we read on in verse 12, it says, God speaking additional things to Moses. He says, and the Lord then spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, verse 13, saying, surely my Sabbaths you shall keep for it is a sign Get this, it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six six days, but the seventh, it is a Sabbath of rest. Holy to the Lord, and whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel should keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations, or throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. 
And it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested, and he was refreshed. And when he had made an end of speaking, God with Moses, him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So there's a time to labor for the Lord. But there's also a time to rest for the Lord. And both are a part of God's plan for his people, for us today, the work and the rest. And because God, I think, chose to speak again about the Sabbath law, it's not the first time. Back, back earlier when, when, the, when the, the, the Ten Commandments were given, we know that it says that you should keep the Sabbath, right? Honored as unto the Lord. But God brings it back up here, and, and, and he does so again at this specific time in order to convey a clear message that even when it came, came to the, important, the importance of the work or the important work of the construction of the holy temple, that the Sabbath was not to be violated. By the way, Moses, these guys are going to do the work, but don't forget, there's a Sabbath day, and you honor it, and you keep it holy as unto me. No exceptions. And that's important because I think sometimes in our mind we make exceptions for God's commands. And obedience is something that we compromise when God says no compromise. We justify and compromise. And so even with the construction of the Holy Temple, the Sabbath law was not to be violated. And by speaking about the Sabbath, listen here, by speaking about the Sabbath in the midst of the instructions on the work to be performed, God was communicating a very specific message. He was reminding Moses, and I think us today also, that obedience is also a spiritual or religious duty. And I hate that word religious because it speaks, it's often in our society, it's, it tends to be something that brought, is brought forth from man's rules and man's regulations. But in the pure form of what we're talking about here, there's a message that in the midst of the instructions, on the work to be formed, God was reminding Moses that obedience is also a religious duty. And it goes back to this idea where God, we were talking about earlier, where God was speaking to the, to the children of Israel later on when they were still just keeping the law, and he said, stop it. Your sacrifices and your offerings, they're disgusting to me. Why? Because your heart's far from me. He said, why? Because you're not obeying me on the inside. And God cares more about the inward obedience than he does just the outward behavior. And that's the issue here regarding the Sabbath too. God says, you can do all these things and works for me, but if we're not in right relationship, it doesn't matter. That's the simplicity of the message that's being spoken here. And twice in these verses, first in verse 13, and then again verse 17, God explained that the Sabbath was first a sign of the covenant that made Israel a theocracy. What that simply means is where God said this, I'm going to be your God, I'm going to be your king, I'm going to be your leader, I'm going to be your all in all, and you're going to be my people. The Sabbath day was a sign for this. And the Hebrew people's obedience to it, it was a test of the nation's commitment to God. God said, I'm entering into covenant with you and I want you to enter into covenant with me. And this is the sign. So because the nation was invited into a covenantal relationship with him, they were to do as he had done. Right? God even references this here. The Lord rested on the seventh day. And their keeping of the Sabbath marked them, it identified them as God's people and showed that they were a, a set-apart people, a people holy to God. 
But how does that work for us? And when it comes to the Sabbath as it relates to the church, there have been, there have been and currently are many, many intense differing opinions of how or even if this applies to our lives today. As a matter of fact, there are whole churches that have divided from one another within Christianity because, and, the, and they build their whole, their whole theological doctrine out of this one command. And it's not just today, it's been throughout church history. For example, if you and I had ever lived in early, um, uh, when we consider how it applies to our lives, if you and I had lived um, in, in colonial America and we behaved as we do today, we would all have spent time in jail or we would have had our, our arms and our feet put in stocks in a public square for, for humiliation purposes. Because any kind of traveling, any kind of recreation that was done on Sunday was considered Sabbath-breaking by the early church in America. And doing these things was against the laws of the land way back when. But we don't, even have, we don't have to look so far back, that far back in American church history to see these kinds of views, these kinds of, of, of views regarding the Sabbath. For example, it was C.H. McIntosh, a popular devotional writer of just the last century, who wrote about the Sabbath day of rest, and he said this. And, and there's others, but I chose him because he's kind of flamboyant and, and I think a little over the top. But this is what he said, because I'm trying to paint a contrast here. He said, the idea of anyone calling himself a Christian and making the Lord's day a season of what is properly called recreation, unnecessary travel, personal convenience, or profit in temporal things is perfectly shocking. We are of the opinion, he says, that such acting could not be too severely censored. We can safely assert that we never yet came in contact with a godly, intelligent, right-minded Christian person who did not love and reverence the Lord's day, nor could we have any sympathy with anyone who could deliberate or desecrate that holy and happy day. Or deliberately desecrate that holy and happy day. Now, be sure to understand that I'm in no way suggesting that we should come into agreement with either of these views. But I want to point them out in order to illustrate how the modern church has come a long ways from what the early Christians in America felt and believed about a Sabbath day rest. Nevertheless, when we, when we look at God's Word, it's clear, when we look at God's Word, it's clear that God's called us to a weekly day of rest and worship. And even though the Bible has a lot to say about this day of rest, there are still many opinions today on how to apply what it says, or how, how, how to apply what, the, what it says to the church, to our lives. Consequently, there are some Christians who adhere to a very strict and legalistic approach when it comes to the Sabbath. You know what? If that's you, you have the freedom to do so. And on the other hand, there are many evangelicals who see really no Christian significance in, 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 in a Sabbath day rest at all. And, you know, and you're free to do that as well. But I warn you on either side of it that it comes with some kind of of, of negative impact on your life when you go to these extremes that God never intended them for him to be in our lives. But when addressing the issue of honoring the Sabbath day of rest, we should seek to know and understand what the Bible teaches us about it for our lives today. 
No matter where you fall in this, we should know what God's Word says and how it applies to our, our lives today. And so when we look back to the very beginning of all this, back to Genesis chapter 2, where we see the first mention of this, we see that it's described as God's day of rest. From the beginning, it's described as God's day of rest. The seventh day of creation, right? And in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says this. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended all the work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it because in it he rested from all the work which God had created and made. And in light of this, we should take note of the fact that God, guys, who is omnipotent, right, all-powerful, could have spoken the whole of creation into existence in an instant. That God who could have done this was intentional when he took six days to create everything that we see, everything that we know. And equally, we need to conclude that, that God was intentional to rest on the seventh day when he was done. He, he didn't rest because he was exhausted, and he goes, okay, now I need a day off. Therefore, when we can, we, can, we can rationalize that in our mind, when we can read the text and can conclude that, the only logical conclusion for why God took six days to create all of creation and then the rest on, the, and, 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 rest on and sanctify or set apart the seventh was in order to give us an example. It was for our example. And by doing so, God was telling mankind this. He's telling us that there's a pattern for work and there's a pattern for the rest of our existence on this earth. A pattern for work and a pattern for the rest of our existence on this earth. And having been created in His likeness to reflect His image, it reasons that we would follow His pattern. And I point that out because there's all kinds of patterns out there that people follow. But God's is the best. He's the creator. He's created us in his image. He's given us an example. So if God has called us to a weekly day of rest and worship, I think we should first seek to understand what the Sabbath is for. Right? Now the Hebrew word for rest is the word Sabbath. And it literally means to, to cease from busyness. Cease from busyness. And I think in America, we can be doing nothing and still be busy. Can we not? That's not a, that's not a Sabbath rest. <laughs> to cease from busyness. And here in Exodus chapter 31, verse 17, it tells us that God ceased from labor and was refreshed. And sometimes we cease from labor and we go do things and we're not refreshed. And the fact that God blessed and set apart a specific day at the completion of creation implies that we are also to set, that alone implies that we're to set a day, one day of the week that is different, here's the key, different from our normal routine of everyday life. And on that day, we who are made in His likeness are to cease from the work of all the other days that take place in order to be refreshed in our body, to be refreshed in our mind, to be refreshed in our soul as we spend time worshiping our Creator. 
in light of this, I want to point out that there's a big difference between the rest that God intends for us and the so-called rest that we might be accustomed to, which is evil, which is often the equivalent or equated to, in today's society, to the pursuit of leisure and recreation. When we talk about rest, we think about leisure, perhaps, or recreation. And the fact of the matter is, 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 is we, as a people, in this time that we live in, probably have more leisure time and more recreational equipment than any other culture in history. And yet we are, by far, as a percentage go, more stressed out, more bummed out, and more burnt out. So I can't help but wonder if a major part of our problem is is that we are neglecting God's ordained cycle of a weekly day for rest and worship, a time when we cease doing our thing, and I'll leave it at that. That's, you can interpret that however you want. You can work that out with God however you want. I'm not here to put burdens upon you as the Pharisees did, but I think that pretty much wraps it up where we go, where we cease from doing our thing and devote the day to taking delight in the Lord. And again, on the other side of that, how do you do that? It's not how you do it, it's are you doing it? Are you taking the time to delight in the Lord and stopping doing your thing? For example, God says in Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14, he says, if you keep your feet from baking the Sabbath and from doing as you please, do you hear that? If you keep your feet from baking the if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land. I want some of that. And to feast on the inheritance of your father. I want some of that. The mouth of the Lord has spoken, it says. So while recreation may refresh our bodies, I'm all for it. You know, go motorcycle riding, go hiking, go boating, go fishing, go hunting. Do that because these things do refresh our bodies or our minds. And while we take those things, we also, and we're concerned about those things and we pay attention to those things, we also more so need to be attentive to the things that refresh our soul. And this is because recreational things are most often self-centered, are they not? But worship, praise, and prayer, and meditation is God-centered. It puts our focus, it gets our focus off of ourselves. gets the focus on God who refreshes our soul. And John Calvin put it like this saying. He said, God did not command men simply to keep holiday every seventh day, as if he delighted in our inactivity, but rather that they, being released from all other business, might the more readily apply their mind to the creator of the world. Furthermore, we need to consider that in setting apart the seventh day as a day of rest, God was taking ownership of that day. What is that day? Truly that day, the Sabbath day, a day that we set apart, that God sanctified and made holy. He said, he said, by the way, six are yours, this is mine. It's mine, God says. He's taken ownership of that day. 
In other words, it's a day that belongs to God, not to us. So it should not be a day for doing what we normally do. How many times in that Isaiah passage where God said, you're doing what you want to do. Doing as you please. So it should not be a day for doing what we normally do, but rather a day to take time out of our busy lives and spend with God and with God's people. And the fact of the matter is, 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 is and just think about it foundationally, Taking time to spend it with someone is, is saying what, guys, to your wife? You spend time with your wife, you stop doing your thing, and you, you sit and you spend time with your wife, what are you saying to her? Oh, yeah, you're special, I love you. Vice versa, guys, to, to, or wives to your, to, your, to your husbands. It says, I love you, you're special, you're important to me. And the same true is, in, is true in regards to God when the focus of the day is spent on and with God. God, you're special to me. And furthermore, it's God saying to us, because it's his day, that he invites us to be a part of, he says, I'll spend time with you. I love you. You're special to me. You're important to me. So a Sabbath day of rest and worship is designed to honor God. And to benefit man. And this is further revealed when we consider the very first day. Think about this. The very first day of Adam's existence was a day of rest. And it's important to take note of the fact that only after this day of rest then did God then assign any kind of task for man to do. God created man. He said, sit with me. It's a day of rest. Spend time with me. Fellowship with me. And they did that, and then God said, okay, go to work. <laughs> but, but meet me back here next week. And it's not that we forget God and leave God. It said God walked with Adam, you know, in the coolness of the day through the garden. God was there. They had fellowship. They had communion. But you get it. And it's important to take note of the fact that, that only after that day of rest did God assign man tasked to do but the first order of business for the newly created man was a day of rest a day of fellowship with god where adam enjoyed god and enjoyed all that had been created for him and this would have caused adam to feel special to give praise and worship to god and even though worship is is honoring god as the almighty creator and redeemer guys the byproduct of our worship is that we are blessed by blessing god we're blessed by blessing God. And so when we set aside one day in seven to stop doing our normal work and to worship God, ultimately what God's saying is we're benefited. We're going to receive a blessing. And this is why Jesus said in Mark chapter 20, or Mark chapter 2, verse 20, 27, to the, to, the, to the Pharisees who had it all whacked out and, and had totally lost the purpose of it, he said, you don't get it. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And now that we've established what the Sabbath was set apart for and what it was intended to be, I want to close with this. We should look at how it can be applied and observed by us who have been saved by grace through faith. Okay? And I put it like that distinctly and specifically because we must see that when we look to observe the Sabbath day legalistically, we're no different than the Pharisees who turned the Sabbath day into a day of burden and not a day of blessing. I love... For, 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 for those of you who are not Calvin fans, got a quote from Martin Luther, too. <laughs> um, because Martin Luther spoke about this very thing, and he wrote this. He said, if, 
anywhere the day is made holy for the mere, mere day's sake, if anywhere anyone sets up its observances on a Jewish foundation, then I order you, Martin Luther, then I order you to work on it, to ride on it, to dance on it, to feast on it, to do anything that shall remove this encroachment on your Christian liberty, if it's for the sake of religious law. You know what I'm saying, what you say in there? Justin, if you want to come up, I'm going to wrap it up. And so the fact of the matter is, is that, guys, is that in this instant, where's God looking? Is he looking at it as keeping the, you know, doing the outward act of the Sabbath day, or is he looking at our heart? Again, it's a hard issue. It always was. It always was, from the very beginning, an issue of the heart. And God looks on our heart, not on the outward observances of man-made rules. And the history of the Jews show how prone we all are as mankind, as human beings, to set up rules that are not from God and take pride in keeping them, even though our hearts are so far very way, so, so, so very far away from God. And you know what? What happens when we do that? Here's the sick part about it, is then we also tend to judge others by our own standards based on, on outward manners. We go, huh, look at me. Look at you sick yet the idea guys of uh, and, and and that kind of judging all judging like that is sin because it stems from pride yet the idea of the lord's day is not to produce a list of things you can and cannot do right so rather than seeking or seeing the keeping of the sabbath as an an act of obedience to the law of god we need to view the sabbath as a gift from god not a duty to be fulfilled. God has established many principles in that keeping of the Sabbath for our benefit. Principles of health. Physical health, spiritual health, nutrition, mental outlook, emotional well-being, relationships, and the list goes on and on as far as benefits that are from put forth from just this one simple act of obedience to God's command. And the principle of one day each week set aside from our hectic lives to rest and worship God is for our benefit. Guys, the God who made us built this principle into creation. It's a natural order of things. And we violate it just as we, and when we violate it just as the, the, we do the law of gravity, gravity it's, it's usually to our own peril. See, God blessed the seventh day and he set it apart and there is a blessing for us if we honor him one day a week. Let's end with that. Father, thank you, God, for this time that we've had together. Thank you, God, for the remembrance of taking time out for you, to setting aside a day where we do your thing, not our thing. And maybe that's even today for us, God, if we continue to do that when we leave this place, that we take you in our hearts, in our minds. We go where you go. We do what you do. We, we um, rest in your presence. We worship you. We give you praise. However you impress it on our hearts and whenever you impress it on our hearts, God, may we respond in obedience knowing, God, that there's good. You've got good for us. You always said in the law and you continue to do so even when you gave it to your people. Do this so that it might go well with you and your desire is so that it goes well with us. Father, we love you and we worship you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, let's sing one last song of worship before we break apart from one another. Mm-hmm.